This is Mississippi Buys with Burt, and we have a special evening tonight. We got a topic. We're talking about domestic violence. Domestic violence. It's going to be a great show tonight. I got two wonderful ladies that's doing remarkable things in Memphis, Tennessee. Miss Gail Bruce, she's a member of Be True and the head lady in charge, Miss Sherry Bogart. So I'm gonna bring them on in a second and we're gonna get this thing started so we can have a good time and we're gonna go from there. And everything we're gonna do, what we do. Once again, this show is for dedicated always to my partner, Jason Minor, my ace. So I'm finna bring them in. We're going. Hope you enjoy the show. Hello. Hey, how you doing? How y'all doing? Good. Good. We have Miss Gail Bruce and the head lady in charge, Miss Cheryl Bogard. Sherry. Sherry, I done did it again. <laughs> and I just said, I apologize. I don't know. I apologize. I apologize once again. Hey. Hey, but um, tonight we're talking about domestic violence, how it has been um, a thorn in the black African-American community for years. And, you know, domestic violence is, is the willful intimidation, physical assault, battery, sexual assault, and or abusive behavior as part of a symptomatic pattern of power and control betrayed by one intimate partner against another. It includes physical violence, sexual violence, and emotional abuse. So... Ms. Bogard. Yeah. I would like for you to first introduce yourself to the people, then after you introduce yourself, we'll go to Miss Gail. So everybody know who is bringing this very informative information to them. Okay. Hi everyone, good afternoon, or good evening rather, on this first Sunday of May, which is marvelous. Um, everything that's going on right now, I guess it's just a blessing. So thank you first, Mr. Burt, uh, Robertson of Mississippi Vibes for uh, giving us this opportunity to share this information. I am Sherry and uh, my middle name is really D. Nice Bogard, uh, known as the founder of Be True. I'm a survivor of domestic violence. Not only that, I'm a social worker, I'm a mother, and I'm a life coach. My goal is about helping people become a better them or better you or whatever. Um, at this point, as the CEO, um, I always tell people never allow anyone to remove their crown because I think everyone are kings and queens. That's how we were born. Sometimes we just kind of lose our status a little bit. So with that being said, I am the queen bee of Be True. And I bring to you my support and my cousin, Gail Booth. Hi, I'm glad to be here. Hi, Bert. Hi. I'm Gail, one of the four members on the treasure. Thank you so much for having us. 
Thank y'all for um, allowing me to take up some of y'all busy times. We in this pandemic right now. You, you've been doing remarkable things with Be True. Even before the pandemic, you've been helping men and women that's dealing with domestic violence. So what made you, besides, you know, you just told everyone you was a victim of domestic violence. When did you want to put your story out there and become a, a help? Uh, 2013, October the 31st, 2013 to be exact. Um, if anybody knows, I tell the, the same story over and over because the victim's story never changes. Um, however, what ended up happening is a close friend who is my first cousin's first cousin <laughs> ended up, um, you know, it's a small world often. Right. But um, not only that person being a friend and a fam almost a family member, she lost her life to a ex, and I put emphasis on ex-boyfriend. Uh, I remember getting the phone call October the 31st, 2013, and if anybody knows me, I wear many hats. Um, I work multiple jobs. I, I love what I do. It's my passion. But with that being said, uh, one of my jobs allowed me to be a on-call mobile crisis assessor. So I make the decision as to if a person who say they want to hurt themselves or someone else if I'm gonna commit them for long-term treatment or allow them to go back home. Uh, that evening, October the 31st, 2013, I received a phone call around midnight, thinking I was on call. Uh, however, I was being told that my friend was murdered by her ex. That was, I couldn't sleep after that, and just waking up and, and pondering and thinking, what my cousin said to me was, you gotta talk. And I was like, why I gotta talk? Um, but her thing was, even when I was being abused, one of the odd things about me is I shared my story. I didn't tell everyone in my family, but I, t I needed an outlet. And so I found myself talking to this particular cousin who called me and she said, you know, I think had she had shared her story with someone, we probably could have saved her. So right. that's how this all started by a phone, a, a friend death first. And uh, a phone call that forced me to start my organization. Be true. So how how important is reaching out to a family member, a friend, or um, an officer of the law, someone to be able to come in and help a victim? So we won't continue to have victims that it goes to. You know, domestic violence is is terrible anyway. But I'm saying going to the level that someone is losing their lives. What, what, when should a person reach out? Who should they reach out to? What's, what's the um, path they should take? Uh, for me, and I think for many, the path is first identifying who you can trust. Um, as we all know, the first thing typically someone say, you go to someone say, I'm being abused, and they say, oh, you need to leave, or you're crazy for staying there. So they're being critical. Nobody wants to hear that. It's called judgment. Um, right. And I think on the outside looking in, it's, it's very easy to do that. But as a victim, that's not what you want to hear. So mentally, you have to get yourself together to go, I guess, like, who can I really go to? Who is that person that I know I can trust? I've shared some things with before, and they didn't judge me. 
Um, so the best answer would be identifying that person that you truly can trust. And when you go to them, I know for me, what I did was, um, it was hard for my family to believe I'd take it back a step because I am a social worker. And uh, one of the craziest things many people think is at uh, one of the times that I was in a bad relationship, I was actually working in a shelter serving victims. <laughs> Uh, but nobody even knew I was a victim myself. But with that being said, my cousin who is here today, some of my other family members who are not here, they're absent at, at this moment, but probably right. watching. Um, those were the people that I talked to, and I called and said, hey, this is a bad relationship, but I'm not ready to leave. I just need you to listen. Um, and that's one of the things that we talk about when we do our workshops publicly it's just uh, going to someone and saying, hey, I'm about to say something that you probably don't like. Just listen to me. Okay. Because <laughs> the social worker is always talking about active listening. You miss out when you, you know, you kind of like quick to jump in and try to respond. So for me, I use my family. And even at some point, I went to my mom to share with her what was going on because we have that type of relationship. Okay. So, Miss Gail, how you doing? Hey. Hey. The call come from Miss Bogart. What goes through your mind as hearing a close family member, your cousin, somebody you love, makes that call and she gives you that information? Devastated. Sad. Frustrated. All you can think of went through my mind. Like, and the, but my first thing was, I couldn't judge her because, you know, like she just said, you got to be ready to, you know, get out of that situation on your own. So I had to just sit there and listen. I had to wait till she was ready. Be the short answer for that. Wow. Okay. Whew. So, Ms. Bogart, what, what are the steps that actually lead up into the physical aspect of domestic violence, if you can let the people know what they need to be aware of before the actually hitting starts. And as we all know, or at least I hope we know, and part of Be True, our mission is to educate, elevate, and empower. So we hope in this segment you are being educated because it's not always just physical. You have emotional, you have financial, <laughs> you know, so those components. But to answer your question, Mr. Robinson, what I've seen in, in a million cases that I face, including myself, is it normally starts with the verbal. Um, you know, I always say it starts off with that guy telling you to sit down, shut up, be quiet. And it kind of looks simple in the beginning. And so you don't say anything. You be like, oh, baby, you know, you go sit down, you shut up, and, and things of that nature. Then it gets a little bit more aggressive. Um, it goes probably from sit down, shut up, be quiet, to... You know, oh, you make me sick, you B-I-T-C-H, or you ain't number the W-H-O-R-E. And so at that point, you're like, oh, wait a minute, this has kind of gone left a little bit. Um, and I always share the story. I smile about it because I can smile now, but I remember, and I, I, if you watch my story again, I've been in three bad relationships, and thank God I've come out of them. But the last one was... Um, the guy called me a B-I-T-C-H, and I remember just breaking down crying like a baby because this guy has never called me out of my name before, so that hurt. 
Um, and it just started from there. Um, after that, it was like a snowball effect. I started seeing he was angry all the time. He was agitated all the time. And anything that I did was not right. And then it went into the physical piece. I can't say it's a timeline. I'm not saying, hey, he calls you out of your name tomorrow or scream or yell at you yesterday. And then the next day you're being hit. You just have to be aware of the signs. And one thing I I have to admit, and that's what Be True is all about, we say if you can't be true to yourself, you cannot be true to anyone. Exactly. But signs are often there on the wall. We as humans just ignore them, you know? So, but that is to me, what I've seen in my own personal experience, it starts with the verbal, then it escalates. Uh, for some, because that's the only person that they rely on. And remember, men are victims as well. So one thing yes. about beach, we don't just focus on women. We focus on men being victims also. But once that person has um, taken your your mental, mental sorry, capacity from you, just bringing you down and making you depressed and not want to be around your family and friends anymore, that's a winner. Because if he can take, he or she can take you away from your loved ones or your surroundings, then you have no one to go to. So um, an abuser often know the rules of this game that they play. And at that point, it becomes a financial component. You're relying on the individual to give you money, to pay the bills, so that you can get the things that you want or that you need. So you may be restricted or limited. And then you're moving on to the emotional. You know, you're, like I said, you're depressed. You're not yourself anymore. You used to get your hair done every two weeks and your nails done every week. You're not doing it anymore. You're not who you used to be. And then the physical part comes. And sometimes physical, it starts off with just a push on the forehead or a smack in the face, a lot of choking a lot of times. Um, some people go to the extreme of burning people, cutting. A lot of times it's in those places where we don't um, see like on the thighs or on the butt. It's almost like child abuse almost. Wow. So with y'all research that y'all have done over the years, is it a generational thing for the the victim and the person who is giving the abuse, who's delivering the abuse, or do they pick it up along the way or they didn't see their parents do it or what's your what's your research has told you research do show this can be generational um but a lot of it is and, and part of that generational is learned behavior uh which one of the things i have to say we have a curriculum called unlearn and learn behavior um i can say this my family has given me permission to say this um but abuse really started with me before my three bad relationships. I witnessed my father abuse my mom. My father witnessed his father abuse his mom. So as you see already, you have that, that curse, that cycle. Yeah, that cycle. Yeah, yeah. And I remember uh, saying to myself, uh, when I was about five or six, I remember my mom just crying one night and I called the police and got in trouble. Uh, because I come from, my parents are older, so I come from that generation which what goes on this house stays in this house. So yes. now it's a middle thing because I'm holding all this baggage. You got a little kid that's watching two people she loves uh, because even with that being said, my father treated me like a princess despite what he did to my mother. And my mother told me that I was a 
child, so she didn't tell me to go against my father. So I'm this little kid that's kind of like split two ways. Um, but this can be generational birth, and a lot of it is learned behavior. You now have families where, um, just like myself, single parents, so you have a young lady who's bringing in another man into the relationship that's already kids there, he's abusive, so now you see the kids are watching it. They see what's going on, and a lot of times they say, oh, the kids don't know what's going on. Yes, they do. They can hear, they can see, and they most definitely know when something is going on with their mom. Kids know their parents. So, Ms. Gail, if you can speak on this for a minute. How is it? I know from a lot of guys, we we hide. We don't think it's macho. We don't think it's manly to discuss or reveal that we are being physical or verbal abuse, abused. So, Ms. Gail, in dealing with be, be um, true and all the research and everything that you have done along with your cousin, how you, is it different cases with the males and the women or, you know, what, what's your view? What's your intake on that? Um, I'm going to let Sherry take that one. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm kind of shy. <laughs> okay. We actually have uh, males that are members of be true. Um, and we also have had males that came to our organization and spoke before about being abused. And just as you said, it's a lot of verbal abuse a lot of times and really physical. You know, we have to break it down and remind me, it's not cool for her to be all up in your face and ah, oh, this and this and that and out in public. And that's emotional right there. It's physical. We learn as kindergarten or pre-K, you keep your hand and your feet to yourself. So, you know, it doesn't matter. And uh, even back then, they used to take sometimes both to jail when they couldn't figure out. And now they're most definitely going to. I do know that I give props to our MPD, Memphis Police Department, our Director Rollins, who is really hearing what we have to say as uh, advocates of domestic violence. But with the men, it's both. You know, it's mutual and physical. Um, like you said, the ego thing. But I right. think with us and other organizations, like walking in faith and things of that nature, the more we get out there and speak and help people recognize that this is real, it's a silent killer, uh, people are stepping up. I, I just applaud the men that come out to our workshops and our events. And when we start talking, they just stand up and say, you know what, lady, or Miss Bogart, or Sherry, um, to be true, Thank you. You know, this is a release outlet for me. And again, that becomes a, a, a mental factor for men. And they're holding it in. Um, but it's not fair. It's, it's not right. And not right. even that, you know, we see it in the LBGC community. So you have same-sex partners. You have men that are in a relationship with men, women in a relationship with women. And they're all doing it. But for men, it's really hard for you all to talk, Bert. I don't know why. Uh, I do know why. It's, it's the past, and that's the thing. We got to step away from the things we used to do. As we right. see just in the last three months, the world has changed quickly. So people really do need to start talking and opening up, and especially you men. You know, if you're being victimized, say something. That's the only way you're going to get the help that you need. Um, well, you do most of here, they affect emotionally. Most definitely. Right. I know. 
Ladies, I know for me, when I first got in a situation like that, it was a shocker. You know, of because I didn't I didn't come from none of that lifestyle, you know, growing up. I never had I was never involved personally with a woman like that. And then when I got into this situation, it was a battle of care, love for her, the kids. Or I can really, you know, I can really, I can, I can handle this. You know, you try to trick your mind to believe something that's not even real that now any little argument has turned into a name calling. Mm-hmm. Has turned into, you know, you, you make it, it's something about some women they know how to put that knife right to that point of their skin and turn it that it breaks it. And it keeps like the wound never heals because every argument when you in a dysfunctional relationship, the arguments come so frequently, you know, it's like, man, this is an every other day, sometimes an everyday thing. But I, I never... So then I go back, I done messed around and turned myself into, now I got to use the same bashing words to try to defend myself because it's like, you ain't going to stop unless I, I, I get with you on that level. And so, you know, I don't, I don't, I, I believe, man, I think me and you talked about it when we initially met, but I, I have never openly spoke about it like this, you know what I'm saying? My my family or people don't never knew about it because, you know, like I said, you know, the ego, the the um you don't want to feel weak. Yep. You don't you know, you don't want to feel that you're nowhere you, you like your leadership has been taken away because you know you're allowing, you know, your mate, this woman to degrade you in this manner. So it it was it was a it was a crazy thing for me and you know just to be honest I I got into that I got into that um that way of us communicating when you know we was too immature to sit down I hear you talk you hear me talk we come to a resolution so you know I understand what the guys you know I understand most definitely. And so now you see the effects to be true. As I told you, when we go out and speak, we, right. we have guys like you that step up and give those true testimonies. And you actually have the women in the audience. And a lot of times, it's things people know. It's just we have a way of bringing it or making people go, aha, I forgot. You know, yeah, that is it. That is happening. And, and just what you said, everything that both of us are saying, this is what people are going through right now with COVID-19. You right. know, you think it's just a crisis of people dying from this pandemic, but we refer to uh, a domestic violence, also known as intimate partner violence, as a silent killer. And the right. reason it is because we're not saying anything. Victims sit there and not say anything. So you... With the world changing now, people are working from home. So now you have the victim and the abuser and the children all at home together. Um, I'm just going to use the example of the man being the abuser right now, the female being the victim. You know, he's at home. He's pissed off because he can't go out and do what he normally do. He's been looking at her 
he's agitated. She's walking on eggshells. She's trying to comfort the kids. She's trying to comfort him to make sure he doesn't pop off in a sense and start going off and with the verbal and the kids are hearing this and this, that, and the third. Um, it's scary. And then if you got people being turned away at the hospital for symptoms that's related to COVID, what makes you think they're going to really see a victim at the moment? Who, right. Oh, been choked or have a bruise or a broken bone, a broken arm or a black eye and she needs medical attention. Right. So this is not a good thing for victims right now. It's very right. scary. It's going to be hard to come out. Um, just on a normal day, a victim, there's millions of dollars spent across the United States trying to care for a woman who finally decides to go into the hospital uh, for medical attention. And then the other side is when she's had enough, she snaps and then she kills the abuser. And I'm using in this, like I said, this situation, the female is the victim, but you know, she killed the abuser and now she's going to jail and her kids. So not only does the victim suffer in this birth, the entire circle, that right. entire family, friends, coworkers, everyone suffers in this. And the outcome isn't often good at all. If you in a toxic relationship, what you know that was basic domestic violence relationship is it's very toxic environment just say you know we we just we just in love i mean how do we what are the what are the steps from okay we have to stop this verbal or physical abuse towards each other to moving on that we can reconcile we can make this a feasible productive, thriving relationship, marriage, whatever the situation is. From your from your time of your years of dealing with this, what what do you suggest? Or do you or, or I apologize, or do you suggest we just need to call this all together? So now I gotta put on my social work case. Yeah, you 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 you, you said in the beginning you wear hundred hats. I'm I'm gonna touch all of them. <laughs> passion for what I do. Um, I always have to say what's love got to do with it. I'm pretty sure most of us have seen the Ike and Tina Turner story, but love plays a vital part. Love is the, that's who we are. You know, we have emotions that a lot of times we cannot control. Some of us can turn them off and on like a, a light switch, but the majority of us, we're not that fortunate. And right. so that's what keeps us there. So there is two sides, two answers, maybe five or six. Uh, so you're thinking he's going to get better or she's going to get better. You know, they, him or her just had a bad day at work. Uh, there's a lot of factors that's going on in our life right now. We're short on cash. We're struggling. Just a lot of our hardships barriers. So we're going to pray or I'm going to pray for us, for our relationship to get better. So you hold on, you hold on, you hold on. But while you're holding on, you're just breaking, breaking, breaking. Because to me, it takes two to tango. It takes two to make it work. So right. if one person is doing all the praying and doing all the work and try to keep this relationship together, it's not going to happen. Uh, both individuals have to come in wanting to change their behaviors, wanting to make a change, make progress in their relationship. 
Um, so if you're holding on to love, love shouldn't hurt. Love shouldn't look like somebody's calling you out of your name or hitting on you or whatever. So the other part you said was calling the quits. Um, it's not always that easy, Bert. You know, you have a, a lot of times an abuser, and not even a lot of times, 100% of the time the abuser is someone who wants control at all times. And it's hard to think if I leave this relationship, how quick am I gonna be able to go into another relationship and control that person? So why don't I just stay where I am in my comfort zone because I know what I can do here. Um, so that's where you kind of start seeing lines crossing where individuals cheating or having other relationships going on. But going into that social worker piece, I strongly recommend counseling. Um, I hate to say it as an African-American black woman, but a lot of us don't like it. Hey, I go to my counselor every other week. Uh, sometimes get mad when she cannot see me. Even with COVID-19 going on, we're doing telehealth. You know, that's a big thing now uh, for those who are fortunate to do it. If you have insurance, which is the law, we all should have it, you should be able to get mental health. Right. So, nothing or even get it for free you know you really need if you're working you have access to EAT talking is the key to this if you cannot talk to that person you love or you're in a relationship with talk to someone because it can be, become very dangerous um, and that's where trauma plays a big part because you hold it in all of this baggage all of this pain this hurt etc so counseling it really works so it's let's hard. Let's get into this good thing. Y'all doing wonderful in, in Memphis. Mm -hmm. We're going to let the um, let the world know what y'all do once again, how you've been doing it, how you've been helping females and male victims, what you do for them, just giving the rundown the whole nine. Oh, we are a community outreach program that uh, service not only Memphis, Tennessee, but borders of Memphis, which is Arkansas. We've done workshops in other parts of Tennessee as well as Mississippi. Um, for us, we have three major components, which is our outreach program, where we do an Easter egg hunt. Every Easter, we partner with a community center or some type of church or any venue that wants to work with us to make sure we bring families together, doing old school games and just having fun. Um, what we do is talk to the kids or the family as a whole. Instead of using the word domestic violence, we use the word bullying uh, because it is kind of coinciding with domestic violence. And we try to reach everyone on their level. Everyone doesn't learn the same way. You have some people that learn by visual, some people learn by hearing. So you have to reach people where they are. Sometimes you have to go all the way down to a third grade level if, if that's the way to disseminate the information. Our other component is um, around Christmas time, we do caroling, uh, karaoke caroling with the less fortunate. We don't say homeless. And the reason for that is because when I was a victim, I moved six times in one year. It's very, very hard, very, very chaotic. And sometimes those individuals that are less fortunate, that's out there on the streets, you don't know. They may have been an abuser and lost everything, or they may be a victim. And not only do we just, we don't put abusers down because some of them really do have mental health issues and can't, cannot control that. Oh. Um, and then our third piece is um, kind of two in one. 
We now uh, educate in the correctional facility here in Memphis where we have an opportunity to meet with women once a month and educate them. But with COVID going on, as we know, everything is kind of like on a pause right now. But our uh, coincide piece to that is our transitional home, which we are in right now. You cannot take up because we have the banner in the backdrop. This is our world famous banner we take when we go out. Uh, into the community, but um, call it home, the beehive. The beehive, yeah. The beehive. And that's in one of our uh, beehives right now. So, uh, like I said, I'm the queen bee. You know, that's the, the queen has to take care of her colony, and that's what this is all about, security. Right. If you run up on a bee, what do they do? <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. That's right. the analogy to this. It's all about protecting our kings and queens. We want to stop this. But just talking about our biggest project here, we have our third house. And uh, with people in our community, donors, um, the home we're in right now is furnished by donors, uh, sorry, donors and donations, financial donations. But the homes are personally bought out of my pocket. And right. so I purchased three homes uh, to this day. And the goal is to purchase one every two years to make sure we bring people in and teach them life skills using our curriculum on learn learn behavior and uh, moving back out, transitioning back out into the community as um, queens, princes, princesses, um, and kings kind of going to be. Yeah, let's let's look, we you you glossed over that too fast for me. Let the community know that you got a transitional home where you are helping victims get right get together and learn that's you know that's a big that's a big thing it's not a lot of people that's that's willing to sacrifice their their funds to actually help victims that deep that's that's remarkable so you know we got to give a big up to miss bogart for doing that oh yeah that's that's a that's a big up thing there so how did you and your cousin miss bruce how did you go how you knew she was going to be your go-to lady? Um, like I said earlier, I can tell her. You know, you have people in your life that you tell various of things to. Um, Gail is real quiet. So yeah, we I see. I trust her. I've never said anything, and it came back to me. Not to mention, we're just a unique family. You know, uh, we come from a family despite issues, whether they're big or small, you know, a family wouldn't be a family if they didn't have something. We still stick together. And Gail, mother, who is now deceased, and my mom were first cousins, and they grew up together, and we all kind of grew up in the same neighborhood, and we would go, this is the time when you would go to people homes and visit on Saturdays and Sundays and Friday nights, and you know, kind of having dinner. And so my mom and I would visit over to Gail's house and a variety of my other cousins. Um, and they were, you know, the grown people sat in the living room or the the, the living headquarters and talk, and they say, hey, all the kids gotta go to the back. And that's right. what we did. And so we would go to the back and play and chit chat and talk. And um, of course, over time, you kind of separate a little bit because I, Everybody went their own way, you know. You okay. grow up, and um, I went off to college, and Gail remained back here in the city. But we were having kids like our kids are like the same age. And then Gail is a grandma.
Yeah, I'm in denial because I think I'm 21 too. But that's another story. With that being said, um, it's just odd how we, not odd, but our family was a close-knit family. And it just goes back to that's the way we were raised. And so knowing I could trust her. Gail and I have girls that are the same age, and then our boys are the same age. And oddly, our grandsons, they're the same age. Right. <laughs> Okay. Uh, it's funny because my grandson name is Ace and her grandson name is Duke. And that's how they were born, Ace and Duke. So yeah. first and second. Um, but just just knowing it. And I have other cousins I reference to Lisa. There are certain things that I can say to her. And then I have friends of certain things. But with Gail, I think one of our closest te- oh, and my cousin Paula, I have to give a shout out to her. Um one of those attachments is we have kids and there would be days where I was going through uh, bad moments and my kids, Gail house, there's only three houses they can go to and one is Gail's and she was just there, you know, the, the thing, when you know your family or when you know someone, you know something is not right, it was like, do you just need a break right now? And I'm like, please, you know, just take them, let them stay there two hours, 24 hours, 72 hours. There was never any questions about it. Um, there are things, like she said earlier, it's frustrating. You know, she, I would call and say, just listen, don't respond. And I know in the back of her head, she probably want to say, leave, or why are you still there? But she didn't. You know, she did right. what I asked her to, and that was listen. I said what I had to say three, five minutes, and I hung up the telephone because I just needed to get that out. So you've got to know who you can trust. Um, because everyone is not trustworthy. Um, again, sometimes you may have to test the waters too, and the person you think you can trust just may not respond the way you want them to. And I always tell victims that it's a flip side to that. When somebody cares about you, of course they're gonna get angry. They're gonna be frustrated. So uh, as a, a survivor now, but a victim being, you know, I had to kind of retrain my thought process too and say, I'm calling somebody and asking them not to feel sorry, and I'm telling them I'm being kicked in my stomach and eight months pregnant, wow. or I'm being choked and I can't breathe, or I just got drugged down the sidewalk. You know, how unfair is it for me to call someone and say that and don't expect them to say anything back or not to have emotions or feelings about it, knowing that they care about me? Either one of you ladies can answer. Um, does it come a point in time you don't call so many times that they don't want to hear it anymore? And if it does happen, what, as a victim, how are you dealing with that? That nobody's hearing you anymore? After you don't, you you the victim. You don't called your family members, your friends, whomever, countless of times, numerous of times about your abuser. They done heard it so much, they not picking up that phone anymore. As a victim, what what's your 
what's your next move or does that just compound on what's already going on? What's the emotional feeling that you're going through that the person you think that you can call or the people, they no longer hearing your story anymore? It's a hard pill. That is a real hard pill to swallow, and it happens quite often. But again, what I just said a few seconds ago, uh, victims have to be fair, too. You know, I know we, or when I was, but you want someone to hear what you have to say. Um, However, on on the flip side, for someone that's never been a victim, it's hard for them to try to digest you know, like, really? she don't want me to call the cops. She don't want me to come pick up and take her to the police station. So when those, when people don't answer anymore, for me, um, I had to bow down and pray. You know, I hope I don't, I have to be politically correct in this world. Um, not here to offend anyone, but I do believe in God. And, and pray and pray and pray and pray and cry and scream and punch holes in paper and, and do everything to not retaliate against my abusers. And like I said, I had three. I had one that put a gun to my head. I had one that raped me. And I had one that just did everything, you know, financially, emotionally, physically. And I I, I have to throw this caveat in of your status in life has nothing to do with it. Remember, I'm a social worker and I was being abused as a social worker and I was working in the shelter serving victims. So we have doctors, police officers, teachers, uh, politicians that are abusers as well as victims. Um, But with that being said, it's hard when no one answers anymore. And for me, that was one of the things that kind of made me start saying, how long do I want to stay here? You know, I, I remember going back, I stopped talking to my friends and everything because I was so emotionally and physically drained that I didn't want to be bothered with anyone. And I know people got tired of hearing me say the same thing over and over my mama, I can't leave him. He gonna do better. He was just tired. He's working. I'm in college and I'm draining him and I want this and I want that and I'm pregnant and my emotions, you know, so I made all excuses for him. Not looking out for myself, but I'm talking to people who love me. Um, and that was one of the things, but not the biggest thing that made me leave. When I decided to leave, uh, it was because one of my kids saw me being choked one night, and I had an out-of-body moment where my kid, I I saw my kid as me as that five-year-old who witnessed her mom being abused, and at that point I said, it's time to go. But Bert, um, not having a support system is hard. Not having an outlet is hard. So I go back to counseling. If you don't have anyone to talk to, this is the prime time to start utilizing the counselor or some type of professional. Can you be a victim and an abuser? Almost definitely you can. Um, this has a lot of what you saw, what you learned over time, um, as well as some mental health components are in there, um, the piece, a lot of people probably looking at this and saying, no, you can't, but yes, you can. You can eventually turn into an abuser. Uh, I have seen people that safely gotten out of relationships, and if you know statistics shows, it takes about seven times before you can truly walk away, and a lot of times, the seven times, the victim is killed. Um, but for those who 
holding out here in the universe, we'll understand that we really do need help. Uh, it's okay to ask for it. It's okay to receive it. But trauma is something that can prevent you from moving forward, and it can make you angry. Right. One of my favorite things, I remember my cousin and I was on Christy Taylor show here in Memphis, Tennessee, and we continue to say, hurt people, we are hurt people. So right. for those who want to debate me on that answer, uh, yeah, you can become the abuser. Yeah, I know you're ready to debate. <laughs> 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 but I just realized and I have to, some else I have to admit I guess I have, you know what I'm saying not guess, I I was a um, abuser also, because I got caught up into the you know, the verbal the verbal um, the verbal assaults mm-hmm. you know, the um, also getting up into a person um uh, the lady's face and um you know so i mean just you talking i realized you know i used to hear it but i didn't you know what i'm saying because i'm looking at it as you know i'm just defending myself you know cuz you know you done you done took all this 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 noise this verbiage for so long so now you know i don't know i don't know yeah, I do believe in somebody has to be the bigger person. I see quotes all day on social media saying I'm tired of being the bigger person. But somebody has to be the bigger person or you're going to keep that. It's just going to be like this roller coaster cycle. It's like um, who wants to ride on a roller coaster 24 hours, 7 days a week? It's fun for a minute but not forever. So if no one decides to say, hey, Let's talk. Let's try to work this out. Even if the other person is yelling or yapping, um, I know it's often hard to do. Take a breath. Stop. Walk away. You know. You know. Let that person know. Talk that person through. And I'm getting ready to walk away. I see we're not getting here. We're not getting anywhere in this conversation right now. And as we know, one thing my kids taught me is that nobody hears you when you're yelling. Oh yeah. Oh shit. You're right about that. Yeah. Bring humor. Bring it back. Have fun. Uh, during this COVID thing, we 
Jane Jacks and talking on the phone and having real live conversations, those things are lost. And that's why I find sometimes our world is a little lost because those things that brought us together back in the day, we don't implement those into our life anymore. So we kind of become complacent and comfortable with a lot of things and just accepting stuff. You know, there are so many, I see young ladies that accept these guys calling them out of their name. No, 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 stop that right being in there. Um, if you can stop that, that's a component of you respecting who you are. And if you let him know or let her know up front, we're not gonna play this game, we're not gonna do this, you nip that in the butt. But if you don't nip it in the butt in the beginning, you're kind of leaving that door wide open for this to continue. And again, like we said earlier, we have a bigger thing now. Right. You know, just, you know, with us talking, it's bringing back a lot of memories and a lot of moments for me. And when you was um, saying, you know, somebody has to be silent. Somebody has to walk away. Somebody has to be the bigger person. Now, what I used to do, I don't, I don't, I don't um, advise this to anyone. I used to. Until, uh, you know, some time ago, a year ago or so, about more than a year, I used to be, uh, what is called, what word would you use? A serial cheater. So I would use any verbal outlash from her, I would go and be with somebody else, which only compounded what was already going on in, in, in our home. So it's, 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 it's nothing that I was doing to ever happen in this situation because I was a weak man. And I couldn't, I couldn't handle the notion of you talk, you, you, you got the gall to speak to me this way. Mm-hmm. So I looked as, you know, as, as we'll say in layman's terms, as a get back or, or whatever, I just go and, you know, find someone else to, you know, have a little fun with, as I would say. But that's that's only it's not is we're not even hitting the surface of making this relationship or anything better. And so, you know, I had to get back to loving myself, respecting myself to um to even do that. You know, even now, you know, with, with this individual, we have, you know, times, hard times of communicating when it just comes to our child, you know. And so it's, it's any little simple word could, to, could spark off anything. And it, it's not, you know, so like I say, y'all helping me more than y'all know. So it's just a way... I have to learn how to listen and how to communicate on a different level so I won't continue to be or fall back into being a, a, a the abuser, the verbal abuser. So, you and know. you said for kids, you know, we're, when we're acting out because two adults and no one decides to say, right, let's take a pause and somebody be a bigger person, they're watching. And then when they start doing these things, we're like, we don't know where they get their behavior from. Oh, yes, yeah. you do. 
it goes back to there are always signs there. Now, whether we decide to admit we see the writing on the wall, that's right. all another story. But we're teaching our kids that this behavior is appropriate. It's right. okay. Uh, and it's not. It's, again, I say a million times, we're taught earlier on to keep our hands and our feet to ourselves. Oh, yeah. So we need to model that throughout life forever. And I get it. Again, we're human. We have emotions. We have feelings. We get angry. We scream. We shout. We yell. We do things we're not supposed to do. We say things we shouldn't say. But where is hurt? I don't care what people say. I learned a long time ago that cliche sticks and stone may break my my bones, but words don't hurt. That's cool. One of the biggest lie in the world. <laughs> oh, I just told you earlier, I was called the B-I-T-C-A. Man. for like 72 hours, so that's a bunch of baloney. Right. I right. yell at my kids. I'm guilty. But they right. be like, Mom, just whoop me. You know, I, right. <laughs> you know that lets you know right there. Words are very powerful. Right. And once you put it out there, you can't take it back. You know? Right. You can baby, honey, sweetie, I'm sorry. You go a dozen of roses. Here's a million dollars. Here's five houses for be true, be hot. I'll take it. But I'm not saying <laughs> that it's going to make me feel better. Right. And now you're trying to make up for it so you know what you did was wrong. Right. To um, but our kids, you know, that they're watching us. And that's one of the things we want to help people understand. Let's stop this. Let's stop this generational curse that fight stop this fight or whatever you want to refer to it as. Right. Um, this is the prime time when we should be teaching our kids about healthy relationships. What it is to really love someone. There are some healthy people out here. Gail and her husband been in a relationship what, 20, 20, 20 years. You know. Go ahead now. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead Why? now. Yeah, yeah. But this is <laughs> You know, there are ways to be healthy. And, you know, having kids, very smart kids, and just doing good things and things of that nature because they see their mom and dad, you know, being healthy and wholesome to them. So, um, hey, we got to come together and we got to figure out how to first be true to ourselves. Exactly. So everything starts with you. When you can admit that you have a problem, when you can admit that you're hurting, when you can admit that you would hurt three or four people, it's not other people anymore. It's you. And you need to stop and really think about what can I do to become a better person. Say that again now. Once you done hurt numerous people, it's not the people, it's who? You. Okay. You know, one thing I used to try to do I used to try to have the conversation, you know, in our room. You know, the the kids in the house somewhere. Mm-hmm. I used to try to, you know, keep the conversation in the room. But it seems like <laughs> with this particular individual, it always ended up with the door opening and going through the house with the whole conversation. And I never understood, you know, then I never understood why. But then I, I it, it, it came to a point in time I was like, now we was just talking. You started the verbal abuse. You opening the door and running out. Is that, that now you're going to switch to the victim role? 
Because, you know, I ain't able to keep up with all this. You moving too fast enough for me now. You, you, you know, you go from we having a conversation to you done started the name calling. Or the yelling or whatever. I'm like, you know, hope we ain't got to go there. Door opens. Now is a, now it's done switched way back to now you the victim. I used to, that used to blow my mind. I was, what? I ain't understand the, the, the switcheroo like that. <laughs> so, I mean, I wasn't, you know, and like I say, it's, I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers because, you know, like you said, it takes two to tangle. And, 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 you know, I, I, I fell into it and I had, I, I did actions that wasn't um, anything that was going to help us come to a, a resolution. So, you know, I don't know. I, I know I'm, I'm enjoying this conversation once again. I thank y'all for y'all time. And so with the pandemic that's going on, how has the numbers of, of abuse went up child abuse and you know with adults well you can't the numbers aren't out there yet because like i said earlier it's we know it's happening but um the hospitals right now don't send people who have severe cases of corona or covid um so and a victim just can't leave and go to the hospital that's a no-no you know that's taking away power from the abuser so right now the numbers aren't there or they're not showing because everything is being dominated. But just know on a normal day, which I don't even know if we can say normal anymore, but on a normal day, the numbers are sky high. So um What's sky high? What's a normal day? what's I didn't mean to cut you off. What's sky high? So you have one in every seven uh women that are victims. Um so you could you put a hundred people in a room, you go around, you're going to count, and that's how you come up with your number. Not a mathematician, you have to figure your part out. Right. And then, um, statistics show one, and sometimes five, and then sometimes one to six men. One yeah. to six men and one to seven for the women. Mm-hmm. And so, like I was saying, because we don't have accurate numbers right now, because of uh, what's taking presence, we're going to the hospital, the, the phone calls. Um, but kids probably are calling police officers, but we as victims, we are trained to hush. So if a police officer come out, kind of what you said, switch your roof changes, and it's like, why? You know, I don't know why my child called the police out here. There's nothing going on. We're okay. One of the things Memphis uh, MPD, Memphis Police Department, is doing is they're training police officers to ask like several questions, like five quick questions. Now, with the transitional home piece, uh, the ones who do come into our program, it's kind of like there's this big, lengthy contract that they have to do because they do have to follow curriculum when they come into the program. They have to keep up with how they read to their kids at nighttime, going over homework, cooking healthy meals, because they're unlearning learned behavior. They're learning how to become self-sufficient, how to depend on their self, because that's what becomes a problem as a victim. We depend on the abuser for everything. Um, But there's a plethora, an array of things that they have to do in this program. And just becoming a healthier person 
will make you be able to be self-sufficient and do the things that you need to do and be able to go to somebody and wreck or see those signs on the wall and be like, you know what? This guy, he yelled at me already. You know, I'm just going to stop this right here. Right. I don't have to say, baby, I'm leaving. I'm just going to take my stuff up and go. He's going to come home and see that I'm gone. Um, it's not to say I'm a firm believer that nobody should be alone, but I'm also a firm believer that we should not be living in a relationship or be in a relationship. We have migraines and headaches after wild and back pains and all this other stuff. Um, is every relationship going to be perfect? I don't think so. But um, I think in a relationship, communication is very important. And again, just two people trying to make things as good as good it could be. I can't define it for a relationship, but let's cut out the the cursing each other and screaming and yelling when it's not a necessity. Right. Um, let's not be putting our hands on each other. That's not necessary. So going back to when you first stated, I know it comes from your experience. When you say you looked into her eyes and you knew she wasn't ready, I mean, what what did you see? Or what you didn't see that you were supposed to see to know that she was ready? Um, Bert, you put me on the spot with that one. It's just one of those things, it's intuition. You say you have a child, you kind of know when, you you know, you know that saying, I have eyes, and I tell my kids sometimes I have eyes in the back of my head because I really know what they're doing because right. I, I know them. And even with not, even without not knowing, personally knowing um, some of the people that I run into, they're a reflection of who I used to be. And so um, I guess it's kind of like that counter-transference. You know, right. I'm looking at this person, and I see me a few years ago, and I'm like, this is not me. Uh, but I make sure I try to keep my right face, because sometimes it's, your facial expression can say the opposite. You can be like, no, in the nicest way, but your face be like, hell no, you right. know? So um, I have to keep everything together. You know, my thing is, sister, I'm here for you. If you need me, you know, my phone number, you know how to reach me. Uh, I do set boundaries with everything, you know. Don't call me at 1, 2 o'clock in the morning unless you really need to. Because, again, it's going back to I'm in that education mode, and I'm trying to teach people to not just depend on someone, but again, I'm repeating what I say because repetition is important, becoming self-sufficient. So, um, just looking in the eyes, there was no eye, I'm looking in her eyes, but she kind of like all over the place. Like right. chick. I just came, I wanted to vent for the moment and keep it going. You see what's going on with me. I got blood here. You know, and I was like, do you want some medical attention? No. So it's nothing I can do about it. Right. Again, there's no law that's saying I have to call the police or I have to take her to the hospital. She's not a senior. She wasn't a senior citizen and she wasn't a minor. You ever seen a case where the victim is really not the victim but the abuser? Oh yes. <laughs> so how 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 you how I know how do you distinguish between the two? I mean, is it a lengthy conversation or, you know, a few key words in the first two sentences, you can catch that, hey, this ain't what it is. It's, it can be both cases. It can be a lengthy conversation. It can be years before you figure it out. Um, I 
continue to say goes with that that goody feeling. You know, have you ever talked to someone like this person just ain't right? <laughs> you know, uh, and we all have those moments, and that's how it is sometimes. Like, you really are not the victim here. You are the abuser, but maybe that person, um, again, with abusers, uh, there's that manipulation. So let me go in and try to get everybody on my side first. And at this point, a lot of times when abusers do play the victim role, they kind of know that they're about to be revealed to, if not the world, but to some individuals. So it's like, hey, let me put my, let me put the victim face on. So right. now when people come to me or, or ask me questions, you know, I can be like, no, it's not me, it's her. You know, right. no, it's not me, it's him. So right. now it's making, making it difficult for those individuals that you're talking to to figure out what's going on. Can you call confusion? I think we knew each other before. Cause I'm telling you now, you hitting. I'm I'm just I'm telling you. I I I I ask the question because, you know, it's I'm asking a question because I either did it or the receiving one. And that's another thing. What you just said, I could never understand how you get on the phone that quick and start telling stuff that this ain't how it happened. And so it 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 brings the wall, the boundaries up that you know I can't even man, it's like wow. Y- y'all believe that. I don't wanna be the bad person, so let me get people on my side first, you know. That's like kids. What right, right, they do right. they know they're in trouble. They go to the parent that they know gonna take up for them. Mama, I didn't do that. You know, typically they run to mama first. Um, and so when dad gets a hold to them, it's like, boy, you know you did that. Right. Like, oh, so they got mama on their side and mama like, well, John, back up off of him. Give him a right. chance. You know how he is. So, yeah, it's but the same game. How crucial is it for the so-called victim family to actually start questioning their behavior on what they are telling them. So will that help them stop playing the victim role when they are actually the abuser? How does a family, friends or whatever, play a part in to, I mean, what you just call the individual out or, you know, or how that go? If you can understand the question, how I'm trying to get it out to you. I think I understand what you're saying, and it goes back to um, who is your family, who is your friend. And I had, for me, I use myself as an example. I had the, I got the hood cousin, I got the laid back cousin, <laughs> I got the quiet cousin. So you know, the, this one here, she know everything that's going on, and I'm bringing this guy to the family event, she ain't gonna say nothing to him. She may give him a little nasty look. But then I got the hood cousin like, why you here at you know, I'm like, right. hey, what are you doing? You know, and you know, I, my mom knows what's going on and my mama gives some looks that kill you, you know, but she's not gonna say anything or whatever because it's like, hey, you know you in a bad situation. I'm just here for you if you need me. So, um, I can't speak for other people, but a lot of times that is kind of what it 
brother and I are 25 years apart. So with that being said, when they did find out about my, um, my, they knew about my first abuser who put a gun to my head. I used this as an example. They were ready to kill this guy. So um, they all got their guns out, not even just my family, but the people on my street in my neighborhood. They found out this guy put a gun to my head. They was like, we finna kill this dude, you know? So it can create a big problem because you don't know how everyone is gonna react. But in the end, it kind of goes back to what I said in the beginning. This thing, this silent killer, it affects a lot of people. Because if my brothers and the people on my street would have killed this guy, guess what was gonna happen to my, my friends and family? They were gonna go, they would go to jail and the guy would have been dead or severely hurt. Right. And I'm still sitting here. So now I got added stress on me because guess what? My family gonna be mad at me because you the reason for this mess. So this is bigger than what a lot of people think it is. You know, it's not just being pushed or cursed out. It right. affects the whole family, the whole circle. Right. And that's I don't and that's the that's the killer part. The effects, the ripple effect that it has on everybody that's involved. You know, um, when I was accused of being a physical abuser, and it was funny to me how people don't use common sense. You know, like my dad used to say, common sense, that just ain't something everybody carries around. You know, and the reason I'm saying that is, I was, I was, um, I had been out of town. A situation occurred. I had to go back to a certain town and state. And we was handling a situation and me and her family was just talking. And for whatever reason, it came up for me to say, you know, it, it, we was talking about some about, you know, dynamics of relationship, this and that. And I was like, um, and her sister said to me, you, um, how could you say you never been abuser? You was, um, you was hitting my sister. I said, hitting your sister. Now your sister, she's her skin tone. I'm talking about it's light, light, light. So any... If you hit, I mean, if she bump into something, it's a bruise. So I said, if I hit your sister with her skin tone, um, when you see a bruise, has she ever sent you any pictures about anything with some bruises on her body that I had done to her? No. I said, so why you don't use your, your common sense? To recognize when a lie is a lie and, you know, this story is bigger than what you're saying. You know, me saying that, and go back to what you're saying, it can bring, it can put a wedge between families who trying to, you know, y'all trying to raise your kids together. You know, you got nieces and cousins that's playing together and you trying to have a thriving relationship, but... They looking at you sideways because a lie has been told. And I think that was one of the biggest things that 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 hurt me in the situation to actually be accused of abusing someone 
and there's no way in the world that that could have happened. You know, I, you know, we talking, we go, we we keeping real. You know, we go be true now. We go be true. Um, it had to be back in 2015. I was living in Arlington, Texas. Our argument came to, I was I went downstairs trying to walk away. Um. To have a smoke. I think I was smoking cigarettes then. I can't remember. But anyway, next thing I know, coming down the parking lot, there's two police cars. I'm wondering, I'm like, damn, what fool done did something now? I didn't know I was the fool. <laughs> I didn't know that I was the fool that was just standing there that, you know, it was, hey, you such and such. I'm like, yeah, that's what's going on. Um, we need to, you know, talk to you about, you know, we got a call for uh, domestic violence. Domestic violence. So I, I couldn't. I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah. So as like you were stating earlier, they was getting aggressive with me. I'm like, hold on, partner. Don't 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 put your hand on me now. We're not finna go into all that right now. You need to assess the situation. He said, no, nah, you done did this. She called and she said, blah blah blah. I said, okay. I want you to do me a favor. You know the apartment number. I want you to go up there to the apartment number. And we should, when she comes to the door, when you see her skin tone, you tell me if I hit her. So he did. He went upstairs. One of the officers went upstairs. He was like, nah, she's a very light-skinned woman. It's no, I don't see no marks. You know, so, but, so it was, you know, it was, that's the mental anguish that a person can take on when you're trying to you're still trying to decipher do you stay do you leave because you never know how deep how bad your life can be on the line of you know going to prison or anything going to jail behind a, a, a false allegations so have have you experienced that? Anybody who's been falsely accused or lied, a victim lied on an abuser? Um, it happens all the time. Um, I don't know anyone personally, but just in readings and things of that nature, I've never falsely lied on anyone. I was even able to successfully put a order of protection against one of my victims. So um, I tell people, you know, just keep a track. With what's going on, sometimes it's vital to get people involved. So if you do go to court or when you get ready for the order of protection in place, the questions that they're going to ask is, do you have witnesses? Do you have phone records? Do you have photographs? You know, do you have hospital bills? Things of that nature. And sadly to say, I had all of those. Um, so it is important to keep a record. It's, it's additional work. Um, to get that piece of paper. One thing I tell people, in my opinion, the piece of paper is not going to save your life, but it is something that's implemented, it's something that's in place. And if the worst happens, that could be death. Uh, for me, the order of protection can give your family like some peace, some type of sense of security, because it prevents you from, or the family from having to go to court and try to prove what was going on. Now they say, oh, there was an order of protection in place, this guy has a history of, or this woman has a history of harassing their partners. So, of course, we're going to look into this first. How many cases do you watch on the news or hear about reading a newspaper where it's a husband and 
wife, one of them end up dead, and then the first person they point the finger to is the one that's living. Right. Nine times out of ten, it always comes out to be where that person had, you know, the one that's living ended up killing the, the other individual, and there was some type of abuse going on. A lot of people probably didn't know about it. So you have the family saying, oh, Susie is a nurse, and she was this, and she was that, and she was so pleasant, and she was so nice. And James, her husband, he was wonderful, and he supported her financially, and he did everything for those kids. But behind closed doors, it was hell, which is going back to what's going on right now. Right. You ever, um, have you ever, besides in your personal situation, you have a conversation with the abuser? Um, abusers aren't too quick to say that they're abusers. They, they're often going to tell you they're the victim. But the few that have admitted to being abusers kind of gave the information that you given earlier. You know, it took a while for them to really understand that, man, what I was doing was very damaging to my wife or to my um, partner or whatever. Um, it takes a lot for us to be big people in this small world for whatever reason, ego, pride, whatever. Um, but there are a few that have, you know, have said, hey, I could have been a better person. I shouldn't have did all that cursing, all that yelling. When I raised my hand at, you know, my partner or I told, I threatened him that I killed him or, you know, because I was upset or angry. But it's a a very, not even a handful, that will admit that they are abusers. Um, I think it's a lot of fear accepting that title. It's embarrassing, right. especially because so many of us walk this, you know, day to day thinking that we're probably very healthy, sane people, and we don't want to admit that we do have some issues. You know, we do have things that's going on. Right. Again, it goes back to what I said earlier. We have to admit that even being human, we all have flaws. We all have issues. We all have something we're dealing with. Some stuff is bigger than others, you know, that people are dealing with, and it manifests. Other people are able to manage. Um, but everyone is not resilient. And it's okay to say I got a problem, or I've done something wrong, or I'm doing something that's hurting people. I think it's very important to admit that so that you can get help to try to stop it. Why is it so hard to do it? it, it and, you know, why is it so hard to admit that, hey, I have hurt this person? What I mean, what is it? I know it's got to do with, you know, it's an ego thing with men, but why is it so hard for just a person just to admit, hey, I was wrong, I did wrong, or to admit that, you know what, I lied on that individual. I was the one who was causing, or I contributed in this manner. Shame, mental health issues, um, the list goes on and on and on, Bert. It, it just depends on that individual. The way we were raised, some of us was raised, some of us like to use excuses, um, some of us don't want to, um, just don't want to admit that we're wrong. and. And until we can do that, we'll never change. Can you come immune to a certain behavior? Me- meaning that if, if it started, like you say, it was a generational thing, you, you just feel that this is the normal way of life, of living? 
especially if you haven't been exposed to other things in life that make you realize that I don't have to be this person anymore. Uh, one of the things for me, I grew up in South Memphis and um, I had a pretty good life, but it wasn't all that, you know, then once I was exposed to people in junior high and high school, I was exposed to a different race. And I was like, hey, I can do that. I can be like that. I can talk like that. I can dress like that. So, you know, even though when we grow, um, stigma fraud is one of the theories to social work world and uh, talk about just, you know, from birth to being uh, to death. And those theories that we go through, and once we meet other individuals, we can pick up good behaviors or we can pick up bad behaviors, but we do become our environment. Um, as we get older, though, some of us just like that cliche, um, you can't change a leopard spots. Some of us just become a leopard, and we won't let those spots change, but some of us do strive for change. Um, some people wake up and say, you know what, I don't like being unhappy. I don't like being disgruntled. I don't like being bitter. Let me change this. So, uh, but you have other people that are very comfortable with that. That's who they are. They're immune to it. And I tell people, don't get comfortable. Right. Because it's not a good look. And they always go have a victim mentality. And I always have that mentality. Miss Gail. Yes, sir. <laughs> You go talk to me? Yeah, stomach is growling over here. Oh. <laughs> 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 okay. Okay. Okay, that's that's the cue. So hey, I wanna I wanna thank you again for coming on Mississippi Vibes with Bert. So as we wrap it up, what you wanna tell the world? What would y'all would like to tell the world, you know? I had a wonderful time, just an amazing topic. It has um, brought a lot of insight into what, you know, I had went through in my life and what I had seen other people, you know, go to go through. And, you know, I, I just want to thank y'all for, you know, taking the time out to, you know, giving me this opportunity, you know, and to educate our people because, you know, it's... it's um, Thursday, I was talking to Dr. Williams, you know, the, the mental illness that has been a thorn in our side as the African-American community is always a hard topic to discuss, you know what I'm saying, because of um, what our grandparents and parents, you know, we, hey, we don't believe in therapists. And, you know, and with domestic violence, you have it that it has, it goes on, it happens, you keep your mouth closed. It's nobody else's business. And if you say something, I'm going to do something to you. So I'm, I, I'm thankful and I'm grateful for y'all for this time because I done had a wonderful um, conversation and I learned a lot. And I could, um, you know, I can call and, you know, apologize about some things also and to also... Right, 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 right. I got my daily but therapy. Thinking that being that bigger person and doing it, if you're doing it because you're expecting something from that person. Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! Yeah, yeah. See, I'm, I'm, I'm at a, I'm at a place in a time in my life that I'm ready to be out of bondage. You know, I'm ready to, to move in a, 
a different space, a different area. You know, I'm ready to um, understand and know how to accept and give love, respect, care, and all those things. Like I say, I got I got four babies that's, you know, like you say, watching. And so they trying to see how I move, how I'm interpreting things. And so now I got to be able to regurgitate this information to them so they cannot be an abuser or a victim. So, you know, um, we're going to do this again. You know, I'm, I'm going to um, see you next month. And, you know, I just I just think what you're doing is remarkable. I don't, you know, it's, it's, you don't get too many people that care. You know, you don't, even they can, they can be victims and still they just go on in life like, hey, I'm not going to help the, you know, the next person. I done got past that phase in my life. But what you doing to go out and you get homes to give people safe haven? I mean, that's, I mean, man, I don't, why you ain't the mayor of Memphis? <laughs> That's a big job. I'm, I'm just, I'm serious. I'm, I'm, <laughs> right. I'm just saying. Right. So do you, um, do you look or accept volunteers to help you with your program or, or how do you, or you just keep it within the family? How, how you do that? Tucks on. The real unsung heroes that are teachers and are dealing with these kids. Oh, Lord. Trauma because they saw mom or dad fighting and arguing and fussing and they didn't sleep and they're trying to step into adult roles and, you know, the older kids are trying to comfort the younger kids and still get up and go to school. So teachers have a hard job. Right. So we're going to be myself and Tim Joy. Shout out to my business partner on that end. Not only have we done plays together, but we're doing this. We know it's going to be successful. Um, but we are, are still, we didn't stop the uh, acknowledging teachers on our social media outlets, but the event will be May 8th, 2021 at the Holiday Inn Airport in Memphis, Tennessee. If you know a teacher from Arkansas, Tennessee, or Mississippi, we can bring them all in for a nomination. Uh, 
You supposed to. You supposed to. No people learn. Look at you. You even gave us some information tonight. So in right. that's the outcome we receive. And so we do workshop when we come out and spend two hours with individuals. The proceeds from that goes back into the, right. the nonprofit. You can donate things to us that we need. You get a, pipe, a tax write-off. We are a right. <laughs> I need a black one. You need a. I, I got you. Okay. I got okay. You. I got you. So what's the date again? May eighth, twenty twenty one. Repeat that number again, Ms. Gail. 1-800-799-7233. Y'all all right with me. Now, one more question now. Yes. What kind of tux I supposed to wear to the gala? Man, whatever <laughs> you want to wear. We just need you to be suited and booted and there on time and ready to air this thing live. Oh, yeah, I do that. But I, I, I got some words of encouragement and everything I'm going to do and say and because I got to get the microphone. We need, you need to let some of our teachers come on your show. We have some amazing... When, yeah, let's... When, hey, you set it up. 
any Saturday or Sunday, I'm um I'm willing and able. I'm ready. I know next Sunday though, we have we're doing a, a Mother's Day special. Okay. I'm gonna you know a lot of the guys we gonna get together and we just go come on and talk about our mothers, grandmothers. You know that important woman in their life. So you know, but any time that hey, I know what them teachers are going. I know them parents been lying. I know them parents been lying to my my baby ain't doing what they said in that email. You telling a lie. You you telling a lie. Your baby your baby was that. You know, now they now they don't know how to you know <laughs> I'll tell you this then we gonna go. I was talking to one of my partners out of Atlanta. I said, you know it's strange since the pandemic came. People Take all their, they spend a lot of time, they work their butts off to buy a home. And most of the time, if you're not paying into that principle of that home, you locked in for 30 years. So you telling me they done told your butt to stay at home and you hate to stay in somewhere that you spending $2,000 a month on. You can't, you can't even enjoy your investment because you have to think about it before the pandemic. You work 40 hours. Mm-hmm. You're spending 10 to 15 hours traveling back and forth to work. Then you add about five hours until, you know, you got to stop at the grocery store. Little Johnny needs some stuff for school. So what are we looking at? 60, 65 hours a week you spend away from your three, dollars $400,000 investment. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's crazy that you have this time to spend on getting yourself together, getting your mind together, your body Everything, your soul. Then on the other side, I said to him, you know how many parents really don't like their kids? <laughs> Seriously. Think, think about how the child abuse has went up. Yeah. You know, you see it. You, you really... Right, right. You, you, those teachers are not lying on your kid. You, you know what you're sending out that door. You, you, I mean, you, you know, you know, I get a call. I don't, you know, I know my kids. I don't be surprised. You know, hey, I never been that type of parent to, you know, first. Oh yeah. I got a long way to go. Right. There were times where we 
Gail. Right. 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 We talked about all this abuse and she just said she's gonna beat me up. Right. Right. I know. I already know. She's dangerous though. She quiet. You know what they say about them quiet ones. Right. That's great. Congratulations. Congratulations. You know, hey, we're going to do this again. We're going to talk, Miss um, Bogard, and we're going to get some of those teachers together. And, you know, it's a shame that the kids, I know we're getting off a little subject, but, you know, it just, it, it, it bothers me. It's a, shame, it's a shame that a lot of kids and parents allowing their kids not to do their classwork. You think these people just finna send you to the tenth, eleventh grade? I mean, <laughs> but that's still it's still gonna be damaging to that child because now we gotta add all these classes on that you did not pass. I was staying in my lane, Bert, because I don't want any of these teachers that's gonna be awarded in my ceremony college. Come on, hey, you talking about teachers stuff? I was a substitute teacher, and and at that point, I decided this thing is for me. Tell them Bert said. But most definitely, we can get these teachers on here to talk about this. All right. And let them know their job is hard. And I know the awardees that we have uh, for Be True, Gala, and just my my son teachers. Um, you know, I still just see the love and the care. I get so many emails from one teacher. I'm gonna say, "Honey, will you please stop emailing and texting me?" But that's a good thing. And I just see the glow on my son's face when I say, hey, look what Mr. Such and Such said. And look what Mr. Such and Such said. So he's like, they see that email? We have a school. You know, even Friday, I said, your teacher's been work and school is out. But he sat down and did. So that meant something to me. I was like, let me take some back and say, hey, he did the work. She was like, what? Thank you. So um, it, we need it. You know, like I said, part of our mission is education. And education is the Miss Bruce, Miss Bogart, be true. Thank y'all. We're going to do it again. Keep doing wonderful things, okay? Thank you. Thank Instead you. Have... Bye bye. <laughs> yes, another great episode. I would like to thank the ladies for granting me that opportunity. It was a great show. I was able to, you know, talk and share some things that happened in my life, some things that I was doing years ago, some things that, you know, um, that I was dishing and, you know, I was receiving. But domestic violence is real. And we're going to do better as a, as a nation to, to stop these numbers for continuing to rise daily, weekly, monthly. So next week, I have um, May, uh, what is May 9th, next Saturday, I have Frank Nichols coming on, the former police chief in Starkville, Mississippi. He was the first ever black African-American um, police chief in my city. Also, next Sunday, we're having a Mother's Day special. We're going to send a shout-out to all the Mother's Day mothers 
for the remarkable thing they have done for generations. You know what I'm saying? Without our mothers, we wouldn't be here. Shout out to my wonderful mother, Mildred. Um, love you. And, you know, I'll see you next time. Thank you for joining Mississippi Vibes with Burke.